Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, looks like we both got a haircut since last week. Uh, mm. My good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Dude, looking fresh this morning. Showered. It helps. Oh, nice. Yeah, maybe you should do that more often. I don't know. It's not just for Saturday nights, Cameron. Okay. Yeah, I guess not, yeah. Um, dude. So much Kamigawa Neon Dynasty to talk about. Yeah. So little alchemy to talk about. This is a show is already looking up. I'm pumped. Um, however, we have maybe the weirdest standard <laughs> in the history of standards right now. This standard is going to be legal for, is it three weeks? Two weeks? I mean, it's like very bizarre. Yeah. The bannings did have some major changes. Did you get a chance to play it this week? I did. Um, I so trying to figure out what to do with my Sedgemore witches. <laughs> nice. Um, because I, I mean, I kind of knew, but I don't think I fully realized like how integral uh, divide by zero was in that deck. Like, I mean, it it legit made that deck what it was, right? Um, so trying to figure out like what to do with that um and unsuccessfully just putting really bad spells in place of divide by zero <laughs> because i'm still using my leers and i'm trying to figure out like okay it's still not going to be counterspell heavy what do i do so i'm using the uh depart the realm which is the foretell card Cost one and a blue, and you can foretell it for one, right? And it essentially just returns a permanent to the hand. Um, not nearly as good. Like, I mean, not bouncing a spell is huge. Right. Not, uh, you know, getting that added value. I mean, like, there's other things where, like, I'm, I'm, there's a couple other cards where you can, what is it, the kicker one, draw a card, but you're paying four. I mean, like, there's all these things where it's just like, one additional mana really makes a difference, um, you know, when compared to divide by zero. So, man, dude, I, I'm just like really. This just put a real sour taste in my mouth. I guess is what I'm saying. Um, it, it, it's fine, but like um, that blue black deck that I had been playing in standard, I think is just not good anymore, and I need to. Uh, probably just move on to something else like a straight up blue black control and remove that creature package that i just love yeah so kind of what we touched on last week the fourth best deck in the format got banned out in blue black yeah. control and it was just like the weirdest <clears throat> and on my experience on the ladder mono green still very much a thing mono white still very much a thing blue mm -hmm. red dragons more than spells still very much a thing all these things are <clears throat> slightly not as good because Faithless Haven and All Runs Epiphany. Um, and I would argue that Blue-Red got hit harder because there were versions of Blue-Red spells that were playing Leer, were playing Divide by Zero. Some were, some weren't. Um, whereas the mono-white, mono-green decks, last week I theorized that it might be a speed bump. Uh, I don't even know if we... Uh, maybe like a medium-sized pothole, right? Like... Yeah. It it has done essentially nothing to those decks. And yes, they are maybe not quite as good, but the blue black deck got, I mean, taken to the cleaners, man. That that deck is yeah. unplayable. And 
I'm struggling to think of a time where the collateral damage of the bands has hurt the second tier of decks more than it's hurt the first tier of decks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know why they didn't just ban Lear. <laughs> like, if they were that concerned about Divide by Zero, mm-hmm. um, Lear or Holebreacher Horror would be better suited. And by the way, Holebreacher Horror is adjusted, quote-unquote, in Alchemy. So mm. it's such a weird turn for that card and oh, such a weird turn of logic. I, I'm there with you, um, but I have good news for you. Mm-hmm. Control ain't dead. Um, so I've played three decks extensively over the past three days. I probably hit arena a lot harder than I have in a while just to try and grind out some value. I also said to heck with my wild cards. Okay. Um, and probably cashed in way too many before Kamigawa comes out. This is the deck I'm suggesting to you. Okay. This got, uh, I believe third place in a thousand dollar, uh, qualifier on Arena. It's Azorius Control by Florian Trot. Okay. And okay. it is not a Leer deck. But if you're looking for that sweet taste of Divide by Zero lesson learn, let me introduce you to Professor of Symbology, aka Wall of Omens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is. The key to this deck. So basically, it's gone from a instant speed response-based deck to this kind of weird hybrid of tap-out meets. You know, I, I would say it's like 50-50. There are no Planeswalkers in this deck. Um, it does finish the game with Amiria's Call. I think there's some things that could be changed. For example, it does play this card, uh, Fateful Absence. Or, I'm sorry. It plays... Where's the Sorcery? A devastating mastery. Witness the future. I finally got to the right card, Cameron. Okay. Witness the future. It's a three-mana sorcery where you shuffle four cards back into your graveyard, into a library, and then look at the top four and take one. This would be a much better card at instant speed, but because it's at sorcery speed, I've really disliked its inclusion. However, Fateful Absence. I'm finally making sense of my notes here. Fateful Absence is the card that you and I both speculated at its power level and what that card could do, and it mm. hasn't really been able to show its stuff. Uh, well, let me tell you, now this card is where you want to be. This deck just, I mean, puts people through the grinder, right? Mm -hmm. You are going to play a long, slow game against a creature deck. You are going to answer, answer every single thing they do all the time. They're going to overextend, and Devastating Mastery is the... Um, the planar cleansing effect yeah. and you just say bye to everything. I've had multiple times where I've cast it for the four mana and the only thing that they have in play is tokens. <laughs> so it still functionally does that and, yeah. and it like kills all their, you know, treasure tokens or if they've gotten like some creature tokens in play. Um, so this deck is a lot of fun. I kind of have fallen in love with it. The blue-red spells deck I spent more time with and strongly disliked it. Now, you and I have theorized, I don't want to get like too tinfoily, that when you're playing a deck, the pairing generator does different things based upon the cards mm. in your deck. We don't know that this is true, but when I was playing blue-red, I was playing against blue-red a lot. 
Yeah. Like a lot. And the games go on for a while. But essentially, it, it becomes much more of a tempo operation. And I don't know if it, this, those decks should kind of scale down to like legit be Delver of Secret decks. Because the top end five, six mana dragons just feel a little stupid when you're playing against uh, some of the more faster aggro decks. Blue-eyed deck, tap out, you're playing like six Wrath effects. And let me tell you something about the lower tiers of the ladder. People do not care. They're going to play right into it. They're going to YOLO that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the other one I, I tried was a green-black control deck that was playing Binding of the Old Gods. And what I found was, even with Meat Hook Massacre, I was still not answering creature decks as effectively as I would like. Um, the, the white rats and the white removal spells tend to be a little bit better. When you're playing black, you're, play, you're kind of priced into playing Infernal Grasp, and that just, you know, the two damage does matter. You kind of put yourself in some rough spots. Um, are you going to be hitting this standard very much, Cameron, or are you going to uh, wait till Kamigawa comes out? I'm waiting for Neon Dynasty. Um, I mean, I, I have cards. I'm not going to invest anything into it until I know where the format is sitting. Um, I really do like this blue-white control list, and I don't know. With some of the newer cards coming out, this might be the deck, deck de jour. We'll see. Yeah, I can't wait to see how bad enchantments get, though. And we're about to talk mm. about that. We're going to go through a few spoilers for Neon Dynasty, not a ton. But we are really going to sink our teeth into that uh, set. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron. So um, I I'm excited to hear you read and talk about this card. So why don't you lead us off with Besiju? Yeah, Besiju, who endures a legendary land. I can tap it for a green. And then it has channel. One and a green. Discard Besiju. Destroy target artifact, enchantment, or non-basic land and opponent controls. That player may search their library for a land card with basic land type, put it into the battlefield, then shuffle. Uh, this ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Uh, this is a good card. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, really, really, I think this is an interesting card. I, In so many formats, too. Like, I mean, obviously, it's going to have a place in standard and it will be a thing but i think this has like huge implications for something like um legacy uh, and modern as far as like i i don't know like just being able to i mean remove any artifact enchantment or non-basic land with a land that's huge right so i mean putting this in lands or something like that i think is going to be a, a shoe-in uh yeah so somewhere all the life from the lone players are high-fiving. Yeah. Um, so it is worth pointing out that, and I, I believe this to be the case, though I haven't read the rules, this can get a basic type dual land uh, because of the way it's it's worded slightly differently. So if I blow up something, you could still get an underground C. Okay. It's worded just like slightly differently, um, or you could get a shock land or whatever. But okay. in, in yeah. Legacy, like... Really, once you get the Wasteland chain going, um, they're going to run out. Like, you know, there might be only five gettable lands. So mm -hmm. you're going to see people that are playing Life from the Loam. So we're, we're starting off in Legacy, right? But if you're yeah. a lands Life from the Loam deck, easy auto-include. I think the question becomes, how many do you 
um, put in, but this, you know, kills Leyline of the Void. <laughs> it kills Chalice. It kills. Yeah. And by the way, it's not a spell you're casting. So they would need like a stifle effect to stop it from happening. Uh, and, and this is the kind of card that's good that gets me excited because you do not win the game with this card. Mm-mm. This is a card that answers other cards. And so, I mean, I still think it's probably less powerful than Thoughtseize um, or less powerful than Lightning Bolt. Uh, mm-hmm. However, we're in that conversation of that kind of power level of answer, right? Um, it's not crazy to think this might be better than Force of Will. Um, because of the massive quantity of things that it answers. Yeah. Um, so like, so Maverick, you're going to play it. Land, you're going to play it. Rug Delver, I think is an interesting case scenario. Um, which, you know, Delver has been blue red for the last, what, four years, mostly just because of Raghavan and Dreadhorde Arcanist Mm -hmm. and on and on these cards that keep getting banned, but it's been blue red, uh, and Tarmogoyf has been, you know, relegated would be a kind way of saying it. Uh, yeah. So maybe green becomes worth it. Now, modern, this becomes even more interesting because there's not actually a ton of green decks. Um, like, you can still play a Jund and Valakid and um, Amulet, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, that's just not been what the format, <laughs> format is. Um, you know, you're either, like, playing a Lurus deck or, like, a really fast combo deck. Or a Raghavan deck of some sort. So, I think this is a really fabulous answer card. Now, Standard, we're going to see, this kit's a lot of sagas. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, like, this is, like, vintage-level stuff, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how often I'm going to be hitting a land with it, though. Uh, yeah, I mean... I mean, in standard, I mean, one of the man lands, I guess. Like, you're using this with some number of Field of the Deads. If if that's, like, a green-black control list or mono-green. I don't know. I mean, there, there's there's potential there. In fact, it's actually maybe better than Field of the Dead because it has that green for, like, a mono-green deck, right? Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is, like, an auto-include, right? Um, dude, can this be right? It's already worth... It's already a $35 rare. I saw that, yeah. Um, <coughs> so I want to read this. I don't know that this is going to be tournament playable, but it just made my heart sing a little bit. And look, we're looking for all the joy we can get our hands on these days. Mm-hmm. So um, Life of Tashira Umazawa. It's a saga for one and a black enchantment. Choo- uh, uh, steps one and two. Choose one. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until the end of turn. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Uh, or you gain two life. Um, I would argue that control might want this. Um, mm-hmm. That you're kind of um, getting a lot of that kind of like slow burn control value out of it. Uh, then number three, and this is a cycle we're seeing, is that the sagas transform. So it says, uh, step three, exile this saga, then return it to the battlefield transformed under uh, your control. <clears throat> and then the backside is, uh, Memory of Tashiro. It's an enchantment creature, human samurai. It's a 2-3, and you can tap it, pay one life, add black, spend this mana only to cast instant or sorcery spells. I believe since you are exiling it, it's summoning sick? 
So I you think so, but yeah, it's bouncing back, right? Right. So you can't use that on the initial turn. But again, if I get to kill a creature, gain two life, and then get a two three with some random upside, as a control deck, you're kind of looking for that stuff in some of these matchups. By the way, minus one, minus one kills quite a lot in the mono white deck. Yeah. So I'm not saying this thing is a slam dunk, but I wouldn't be surprised. What do you think? Uh, I I like it. I mean, on top of it just being an Umazawa thing and that artwork, dude, on the front of the card, like, I mean, talk about flavor and impact right there. Like, that just looks so cool. Love it, love it, love it. So, like, I, I get really excited about a card like this and kind of how what it's evoking with, like, you know, the JIT. Um, very, very cool. Um, the, yeah, I, I think it has utility with the, the, um, the first two lore counters. Um, and then just getting a creature from that enchantment, that's not nothing. Um, is it going to be good enough when there is Besiege you in the format now and like all these other things where maybe not, but I, I love the card at, for what it is, I guess. This is the kind of magic design that I want. Mm-hmm. incremental value strategic thought is this card payoff but this could very easily be a three for one and it could yeah. very easily be a two mana two three that comes into play two turns down the line when completely worthless to you so there's a lot of nuance within this design i like the transforming sagas i think that's a cool idea i don't have an issue with yeah. that um so yeah and again not to be this guy, but this this exposes another issue with alchemy. Like, when they adjust this card, like, how confusing is that going to be when there's two versions of a thing that literally has four text boxes on it, right? Like, it's just not ideal. Okay. What do you, what else you got for me, Cameron? Uh, we got the new Tomio. Um, completed? <laughs> completed? How do you pronounce that? I don't even know. I just say completed. Um... Yeah, we'll just say I, that. I, I don't know if that means, like, you know, pleated slacks, like she's got the line down the middle. Um, mm -hmm. Do people wear pleated? Are you a pleated slacks guy? No, no, no. Go straight leg all the way, man. Yeah, the problem with, well, no, the problem with pleated slacks <laughs> is when you're ironing them, right? You got to iron them slightly differently. and How it's, do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, so you kind of end up ironing the profile, and, I mean, there's an art to it. There's an art to it. Uh, but generally speaking, I don't love the ple I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. I don't think you get a benefit out of the look of the pleated slack. Anyway, continue. I, I agree. So we have Tomio, pleated sack, <laughs> slacks, <laughs> uh, legendary planeswalker with the, um, you can pay Phyrexian mana, uh, green, blue, two life. If it was paid, this planeswalker enters with two fewer loyalty counters. Um, and then plus one, tap up to one target artifact creature it or creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Minus X, exile target non-land permanent with mana value X from the graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of that card. And then minus seven, create Tomio's Notebook, a legendary colorless artifact token with spells you cast cost two less to, cost, uh, to cast and tap to draw a card. Um, it's one of those planeswalkers. Like, I feel like... It, there's a lot of good things on this. Um, it's not going to be Oko, thank God. Um, you're going to see it, and I'm sure somebody's going to try to do something with this. Um, the Phyrexian mana thing is interesting. I think 
I don't know. It's like a whatever to me. Um, it, I mean, because like the downside of paying two life and this thing coming in with three doesn't seem like it's that um, that much more powerful. But I mean, being able to exile a permanent and put a token into play, that's not nothing. And there might be some utility there. Yeah, and I, I would say I like this of that kind of category of one or two of in a control deck kind of planeswalker right like i i want to have you do this one because it does reek of captain picard becoming a borg it's got that vibe i knew you would <laughs> dig that um by the way i see, every time i see a, sorry we're off topic again every time i see an ad for picard i'm like completely confused and lost like join I, the club okay <laughs> because <laughs> there are people from other star trek shows in this show right like i'm not making that up no, yeah, yeah. I mean, but you I, get seven of nine, and yeah. Why? Why, indeed. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I've kind of given up on all the Star Trek stuff, man. Like, Oh, that's sad. I don't need it. Yeah. That's sad. Um, eventually, this podcast is you just going to be playing, like, the blues on your gu- new guitar in the back. Uh, yeah, shouting out clouds. Like, I mean, yeah. it's there, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what I do think is we're kind of past the days where unless something's really get printed, I don't think blue-green is a workable color combination in standard right now. Um, mm-hmm. So this would have to be in bug or bant. My suspicion is it fits a little bit better in a bant shell um, because black is going to give you a lot of this stuff already with some of the other cards that it already has, where with blue-white, you're kind of looking for more ways in which to lock things, right? And yeah. a few more win conditions by using the exile permanence and you know presumably a lot of times you're going to you know exile lands or you know sagas things like that whereas like black i think has the threat density to do that by itself um so i think this is a good utility card role player um that the deck has to line up in a certain way all right last one i wanted to go over today because i think all these cards are pretty interesting um but this one's really bizarre the reality chip. Okay? <laughs> Check out this creature line. Legendary artifact creature equipment jellyfish. Mm. We've all been there. We've all been there. Um, it's a 04. And it says, you may look at the top card of your library anytime. As long as the reality chip is a- attached to a creature, you may play lands and cast spells from the top of your library. Okay? Reconfigure. Two in a blue. Two in a blue colon. Attached target creature attached to target creature control or a ton of unattached from a creature. Reconfigure only as a sorcery. While attached, this isn't a creature. Okay. So what's weird is you the control decks don't tend to have creatures for mm. you to take advantage of this. But like you could just have a token. You could use the aforementioned professor of symbology. But what's weird is this actually plays fine with Wraths. Because when it's equipped and you Wrath, you end up with this jellyfish back into play, right? Mm -hmm. The thing that I want to mention is, and again, this is older magic, right? Like Future Sight, the card Future Sight. Um, There is a big advantage when control decks are able to play off the top of their deck. It's big for everybody, Mm -hmm. but with control decks, it's, you know, that one extra card leverage can really matter when we're talking about Memory Deluge, a counterspell, these things that can provide multiples for one or the aforementioned Raz, 
Where with, you know, experimental frenzy or, or something like that, you're kind of just looking to vomit out as much as you can. There's not a lot of nuance to the operation that you're going to commit to. Um, I think this card might actually be really good because you can just play it and block stuff. Am I crazy here? Mm-hmm. It seems interesting. I mean, the the cost of it is negligible, right? Um, but getting it to kind of align with, okay, are you playing a creature on turn three? And, like, how are... how like where in the sequencing are you playing this to actually start netting the value you need versus just behold the multiverse. I I don't know. Like, you know, I feel like there's some easier ways to net advantage. Um, That being said, like, I mean, I'm just not, I'm not like the type of person that plays a lot of these types of creatures or this sort of mechanic, I guess, in a control deck. And so maybe it would be kind of new, interesting and good. Yeah, so, and, and it is also worth pointing out, like, if you just slam four of these in a control deck, you can't have two in play at the same time, right? Because yeah. they're going to legend rule out. But, like, you have to have, like, the Planeswalker support or something, something that's going to generate for you incidental creatures more than just four professors of symbology, right? Something mm-hmm. that's going to make, and so maybe this, there's, like, a more of a blue-white tempo-y kind of thing, and we've seen those in the past, right? Um, but, again, uh, functionally drawing an ever, uh, a new card every turn because it says you can play lands or cast spells so that kind of defense mechanism of you can't do i like you can only do one or the other is not there um Mm -hmm. it is an extra card per turn period at like the drawback is in deck building not in actual the moment-to-moment gameplay like dark confidant um so i like it i just like to your point i don't know if the shenanigans that you're gonna have to go through to get to this stage are gonna be worth it right so Mm -hmm. um also worth pointing out this thing doesn't have defender so so weird yeah 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 um it's a strange one it's a strange one so cameron neon dynasty so far i'm actually quite liking where you at on it I, i'm i'm the same i mean everything from the just some of the artwork i've seen i've been really digging i just like the vibe that they're going after i think it's kind of like they're knocking out of the park in that sense um yeah and a lot of the cards I think are going to freshen up standard in a way that um, a random ban last three weeks before also does, right? So, yeah. fair. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm up, I'm up on the set. Same man. Okay, let's get out of the segment and come back and talk about what else we've been up to. All right, Cameron. So, dude, you know I can always count on you for solid watch recommendation not not watch like as in wristwatches as in movies mm. to watch um so you're bringing the heat yet again this is a, a really anticipated film i've seen a lot about it uh yeah. it's just called get back get back the beatles documentary um so like i guess they have like this documentary crew had kind of like unprecedented access or the studio gave unprecedented access to film um essentially the Beatles developing the last album they did, Let It Be. Um, and this thing is uh, directed by Peter Jackson, which is super weird. Um, there, It's a three-part series, and each part is about over two and a half hours long. So, I mean, we're talking like Lord of the Rings level, you know, library of, uh, of media uh, in a form of, of the Beatles. Well, Peter Jackson isn't known for his brevity. Wasn't his exactly, King Kong right? like also like crazy long? <laughs> yeah, it was, right? Um, so I'm not like the... I wouldn't say I'm like a, the biggest Beatles fan 
by any stretch. Like I respect them. There's some songs that I think are really, really good. Um, but I'm not gonna, I'm not, you know, actively buying every single thing in their catalog and, and going after it. Um, but I, I do respect what they, what they did and what they represented in like pop culture and kind of some of the influential things they did leading into like prog rock and all these other things that are, I think, super important for like the seventies and eighties. Um, but this is like so interesting because you get so much of like that band dynamic of like the, like the biggest superstars in the world at the peak of like their creativity. Um, and just kind of seeing their fallout is super interesting. Like this is eventually going to lead to them breaking up. Right. I mean, you're seeing like George Harrison leave for a couple of days because he's just so upset with what's happening. Yoko is literally sitting there the entire time in silent judgment, just watching the band as they're like going through this creative process. And you, like, if I were George or Ringo and I like, I mean, she looks like the bored girlfriend at, um, guitar <laughs> center, you know, like yeah. it just, I mean, it, it was, just, it's such an interesting thing to just kind of see. And, um, and, you know, like the, I mean, it's kind of a mess because like there's audio recordings and they're kind of like dubbing those over just like some of the footage they have from like the 16 millimeter film. Um, but kind of seeing the story and how this all kind of came together. And then also hearing like these iconic songs, like Let It Be and Across the Universe as proto songs, like to to imagine that these things didn't exist, you know, prior to them writing. The, I mean, I know obviously it did, but as a kid, I grew up, this, this, this stuff was just ingrained in your popular culture. You just, yeah, yeah, it for sure. always existed. Right. So to hear them, like him kind of doing this ditty around, um, let it be as like Ringo's just talking about some inane thing. It's just, it's so weird and interesting and fascinating. So it's a time commitment. Um, but I think if you're just like, into music at all uh, if you have a passing interest in the beatles like this is like definitely worthwhile to check out it's like i said a time commitment but um i just have it on in the background and um i've been finding it incredibly interesting and fascinating yeah i i feel like i i'm very much in the same boat like a ton of respect for the beatles mm. i don't know that i love them the way that some other people do like i didn't uh, for what what the Beatles are for a lot of people in our generation, that's what Led Zeppelin is to me. I think there were a lot of people that discovered older bands that their parents mm -hmm. maybe did or didn't listen to and kind of fell in love with what that band was. But for me and my core group of friends, as people that listened to a lot of heavy metal, you know, Led Zeppelin was like it. And it wasn't yeah. like we hated the Beatles or something. It was just they were there, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I mean obviously I'm a big Beatles fan because... George Harrison's I Got My Mind Set on You is, I think, maybe the greatest song of all time. And so whatever led to that, right? Um, yeah, sure. What, I mean, the quintessential 80s song. Am I right, Cameron? I mean, it, it's pretty darn 80s, yeah. <laughs> and also, I defy you. That song comes on in the grocery store. People are singing it, dude. Like, that, yeah. it cannot be You're stopped. you along. Yeah, yeah. It cannot be stopped. <laughs> no, but jokes aside, like... I, I would love to see it just to see what you're talking about because the Beatles breakup is such a mythologized thing. Mm -hmm. And the truth is maybe it was a good thing. You know what I mean? Like for these guys to continue to grow, they like literally every single one of them had a music career afterwards, yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and so 
sometimes these things are okay. You know, I had a, a buddy growing up, and he had this theory that every band should have four albums. And after they hit four, you have to break up and form a new band with other people. Right? Um, and I thought that was such a cool way of looking at things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you could point to however many bands, like, really don't do their best work after their fourth album, right? Like, that's, um, it's tough. Yeah, it's a, it's a rare gem to find those bands for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyway, no, that's cool. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Um, anyway, sorry, you got me thinking about all kinds of classic rock stuff. It's just rattling around in yeah, my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if they did a Zeppelin document, documentary like oh, that, dude. I'd be all over that. All yeah. over that. Um, so a couple things I want to talk about, and I don't remember if I talked about this on the show, but I've kind of re-fallen in love with Mystery Science Theater. Um, and there's this kind of push for me, Cameron. Um, so look, I've got, look, I've got a young son. I've got a, a puppy. There's a lot of idle time, and I'm trying to take away from me just scrolling through Twitter and Facebook. Because again, as I think many people have established, massive net negatives on your life. Um, <laughs> really, you can get the same out of 10 minutes on Twitter that you can out of two hours on Twitter. Um, it's true. just, yeah. you, you've lost all the efficiency of the timing. Uh, and look, I do listen to a lot of podcasts. I think that, that's a great way to uh, fill up my idle time. But what I've started to do is just throw on Mystery Science Theater. Uh, there's just a couple seasons on Netflix. It, like that show has gone on such a journey that I didn't realize that it's been yeah. canceled and re-added so many times. Um, but I, but I saw the the impetus for this was I actually saw them live. Uh, I went to a live show. They're on tour right now, and basically the movie is on a projector, but they do the puppeteering live in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally haven't laughed that hard in like three or four years. Um, I, my face was hurting. That's right? awesome. And I just, it, it really brought me uh, a lot of enjoyment in that moment. You know, of course I understand people's reticence for, um, getting together, getting at a concert, that kind of thing. I will say that for this particular thing, I had to show vaccine status to get in the door. Mm-hmm. So they, they had that element of things kind of buttoned up, but you forget a, that this show was like such a big part of our youth, like especially yeah. the late night. Oh, hey, I'm home. It's 1130. I just hung out with my buddies. I'm just going to throw a mystery science theater while I eat a, a bowl of ice cream kind of thing. Um, but it also reminds you of this whole subculture of crappy films. <laughs> like you just don't watch bad stuff anymore. Right. Like you used to have to like, I mean, you could, you can, <laughs> but like, I'm just talking about B-level sci-fi that was made for a couple thousand bucks to get released on BHS for people to think they're getting Masters of the Universe, which was already terrible, but in fact, they're getting Masters of the Galaxy, which is a B-level remake yeah. made in Sweden. You know, it's just amazing, <laughs> the stuff that you run into. Um, so, Mystery Science Theater. You know, fall back in love. If the the tour is near you, I would highly recommend going. I thought it was a, a great, great, great show. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is I, I can't remember the actual number. I believe there's six hundreds. So, a little bit of an audio thing. Uh, I ended up buying Turtle Beach Stealth. I believe they're six or seven hundreds Gen Two. They're the hundred and fifty dollar headphone model, 
One of the big things that I'm having trouble that I had trouble with is finding a pair of headphones that can pair with a the Xbox Series X and a Nintendo Switch and your cell phone. These do this, and they're like only 150 bucks uh, okay. wireless, and that is a huge, huge deal. So I bought the pair that direct controls the Xbox Series X. So when you power it on, it powers on the Xbox, and it's all there. Um, and then I Bluetooth connected it to my Switch, but you can also connect it to your phone. Supposedly, and I've never done this, there's a way to get one headphone to be what's playing on your phone and the other headphone to be the game. Um, nice, okay, yeah. But again, if you're a multi-console person and you're having trouble, because legitimately what these headphone companies want you to do is buy a wireless one for each console. Yep. And these are very comfortable, they sound great, and I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm watching movies with them on too. Um, so, uh, you know, Hey, they are wireless headphones. If you're like an audiophile and you know, you, you don't let anything less than $800 touch your lobes, then this is probably (laughs) not where you want to be. But in terms of value, because in my experience, gaming headsets especially are very overpriced for what they are. Mm -hmm. Um, this is good value on, on, in terms of the connectivity. So, uh, anyway, and whenever I'm playing something like Halo, it doesn't make my wife upset that massive explosions are coming from the downstairs. So, uh, Turtle Beach, uh, Stealth Gen 2s. So, anyway, Cameron, if someone would like to get a hold of you and tell you what headphones should be touching your lobes, where could they find you? That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I am at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We'll check you guys next week.